You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, your duo of hosts here, Colt Molesky, Trey Flynn, breaking down the Oklahoma City Thunder game. We're going to be talking about Andrew Wiggins' comments. We're going to be talking about Andrew Wiggins and his play on the court as well. And then we're going to look at what we should expect from the next couple of games here. We already gave you a little bit of a preview of the this stretch of games, this really tough stretch of games for the Timberwolves. But what does this Thunder game say about what we can expect from them going forward? We're going to be covering all that. But first of all, Wiggins is all over the place in the news. And for some of the good reasons, some of the bad reasons... I tell you what, the drama on this Timberwolves team just does not stop. It is never ending, Colton. In, in this case, I guess, in this game, besides that Andrew Wiggins comment, uh, I'm pretty ecstatic about this basketball team right now. I'll take the drama. I'll take the you know Jeff Teague ejection. Um, you know, I'll take uh, Andrew Wiggins going off um, after Tom Thibodeau is fired. If that's all it takes to get this team winning games to be on this three-game win streak, then let's have some more drama. He's down for the drama. I love it. Uh, yeah, well, let's let's get to the the negative stuff first because I, I said at the beginning of the year I'm trying to be more positive about the Timberwolves. I'm trying to be more positive as a podcast host here, and so we'll get the negative stuff out of the way, and we'll talk about some of the positive stuff. First of all, you have the remarks, obviously, that that, uh, that Wiggins accused Dennis Schroeder of being gay, I guess, uh, for uh, some of the ways that he was freaking out about some plays. I, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to think back on the game. I can't remember the exact uh, the exact uh, place that this would have fit in the game just because I think Dennis Schroeder is kind of uh, – He's a, he's a really animated guy. He's a really animated basketball player. And so when he's on the court, usually you have some, some antics. And there's plenty of animated players across the NBA. And he's one of those guys. And so I can't think of a specific spot where I remember, oh, yeah, this is clearly where Wiggins kind of spouted off on him. But I think that it was just kind of both of those guys going back and forth the entire game. And then you have these comments surface. Not a great look for Wiggins. Not, a great, not what you want. I, I will say this. I have a little bit different of a take on this. Maybe maybe it's uh, the wrong way to look at it, but I wanted to hear first what you thought of it. Well, first off, much like the Derrick Rose situation and the poor choice of words, these guys just have to remember that they have millions of followers, that they represent a billion-dollar franchise, and that especially Andrew Wiggins and Derrick Rose in the past, of course, make millions of dollars. Um, so they need to realize to you know, think before they speak. Um, and not only that, uh, I can't speak for Derrick Rose, but Andrew Wiggins, uh, you know, using um, gay in a negative connotation that way to say that uh, Dennis Schroeder was freaking out essentially was, again, like seventh grade language, which is what, like, what we talked about on the last podcast with Derrick Rose. So it's just uh, it really take, it really honestly tells you that just because these guys are, uh, you know, professional athletes that they might not necessarily be mature yet. But the one the one positive to take from this um, after Andrew Wiggins did apologize for using that language to the LGBTQ community, um, the one positive to take from this is that Andrew Wiggins is voicing his opinions um, and that he looks on the court more aggressive and obviously off the court isn't letting anything slide by because the Dennis Schroeder situation was essentially he was angry that Andrew Wiggins elbowed Nerlens Noel um, and to my opinion, it didn't look uh, purposeful. 
Um, and that Nerlens Noel obviously was like passed out on the ground and just found out that he's a bad concussion, severe concussion. So, uh, you know, uh, hope, I hope Nerlens Noel is okay. But Dennis Schroeder and his defense, he was trying to stick up for his teammate, and he thought that some of the Minnesota Timberwolves guys, specifically Jeff Teague, was laughing. Um, and then, you know, Jeff Teague gets thrown out of the game for trying to, uh, you know, push uh, Schroeder or actually pushing Schroeder, maybe trying to fight him, but you know, that never happens. So Jeff Teague's ejected Dennis Schroeder, uh, technical foul, uh, Andrew Wiggins has a beef with him throughout the game. And then after the game, he relayed his frustration and one of the poorer ways he could have done that. Um, but again, just having Andrew Wiggins have frustration is one single positive takeaway from this. I like an emotional Andrew Wiggins rather than an emotionless Andrew Wiggins. What are your thoughts, Colton? I do like that. I do like that he feels uber invested in these games. And you're right; it kind of came to a head when Nerlens Noel obviously has the hand injury. You have the Teague ejection. I, I feel like right away when Teague was on the court, or not Teague, excuse me, Schroeder was on the court. I feel like they were starting to pick at each other a little bit, and maybe it was just Schroeder picking at a bunch of Timberwolves players. But I feel like it was sooner than that that they started picking at each other. But that's definitely mm-hmm. where it came to to a head. Uh, I do I do love that he really is invested in this game. And I, I wish I wish we could get him invested in all eighty two games. I, I think that, that would be super that would be super fun as well for the Timberwolves fans and for the Timberwolves team. I will say this. I uh, obviously it's not a great look for Wiggins that these comments came out and that he has some he says some of the stuff he does during the game and post game. Here's the thing though, is that in sports to be honest, you talk shit. Whether you're playing pickup, whether you're playing NBA b- basketball, whether you're playing flag football, whether you're playing NFL football, you talk shit. And I think that the NBA does a worse job protecting their players from some of the backlash of the things they say to each other than other leagues like the NFL does. I heard a story I'm trying to remember who, maybe this was a broadcaster saying this or somebody, I remember a story that uh, they were talking about the guys who edit the NFL uh, on the field mics that they have when a player's mic'd up and they edit all that content. And they said that if you heard even some of the stuff that they edited out, you would never watch the NFL again because of how heinous the stuff that these guys say to each other is. And you don't hear stuff like that. You even go back to some legendary Shit talkers like Kevin Garnett. He made fun of he made fun of Carmel Anthony's mom when she was in a wheelchair and came after him for that. And yeah. you never really heard about that until after. He, I mean, you knew he was a shit talker, but you never heard of it specifics until after his career was over. And because they didn't have all this technology, and because they didn't, people weren't capturing everything on their phones. And I'm not saying that maybe excuses some of the language when you use it off the court, but when you're on the court, I feel like. If you're the NBA, you maybe want to protect these guys a little bit more because let's be honest, at this point, talking shit is part of not only basketball but really every sport. And I feel like the NBA players are a little more exposed out there when they're talking smack to each other versus other leagues like the NFL, maybe like the MLB, uh, stuff like that. Is that the wrong way to look at this? Am I defending the wrong side of this or do I have – I feel like I have a point here. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, there is a valid point in sports in general for shit talking. It's a way to, to get fans involved, to get more energetic in the game. And it's also a way for athletes to wake up. Cause when you're doing this nine in and nine out, 
it can kind of feel like a, you know, a kind of like an eight to four kind of job, eight to five kind of job, even though we know it's a sport, they do it every single day for their whole life. So when they get more involved uh, physically and through talking crap, you know, it does definitely help the players and the fans get more involved. It's just, you know, the NBA, they are trying to differentiate themselves from other professional leagues, sport leagues around the world. And I think that they found a market of essentially a more progressive league leaning towards now getting women coaches in the NBA, for example. Um, and I think they're just cracking down on players using certain types of language, whether it's the Derrick Rose kill yourself or the Andrew Wiggins calling some someone gay for doing something negative. Um, for example, Nikola Jokic said something very similar to Andrew Wiggins about two months ago and was fined $25,000 the morning after, which I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Wiggins gets a fine as well. Um, so this is just the NBA telling fans and media that, hey, we might be diversifying the type of fans that we're trying to bring in. It seems like they're trying to bring in younger audiences, and the NFL really sticks to the older audiences in Major League Baseball as well. Um, and that might just be what differentiates the NBA in the future. Now, whether we agree with that or not, that's definitely the, the route they're on. I don't necessarily like the idea also of, um, you know, uh, you know, closing up what players are saying, like not letting people hear it over the mic. I like to hear what my favorite players are saying because it, then it lets me know who they might be in that moment or in, in the, how they might be as a person because you really only know these guys as athletes. Now, that also puts the NBA players as a, at a disadvantage because usually they're so young coming into this league. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean they're mature or use the right language. Um, but again, I just think it creates more of an open environment while it might seem closed right now. In the future, down the road, we might look at the NBA as the, you know, the number one sport in America, while football probably is number one right now. I know I like to for it to be the NBA. Um, NBA is trying to feel they're trying to feel themselves out, trying to get a new audience. And I think they're looking toward the future and maybe not so much in the past or right now, if that makes sense. The problem is that you are going to hear some stuff that NBA players are saying and you're going to find it amusing or just interesting in the insight of how they try and get in each other's heads. Whereas other people are going to jump on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and they're going to jump all over this player and all of a sudden it's going to be a problem. It's not just going to be something that happened on NBA court between two guys who are being uber competitive and trying to get some sort of mental edge on the other guy. I don't know. I, I, I've played sports at the high school and college level and I've had some terrible things said about my sister and my mother and I have filed it under the, the area of competition and didn't really take it super personally. Uh, and I, while you shouldn't say the stuff to people, uh, just on the street, obviously, in passing, or even like it, like I was saying, in a locker room isn't even the proper place for this kind of stuff. I think there is a different kind of language that you're using on the court or when you're in a, comp- a competitive field, maybe on a football field or like a baseball field, soccer field. And I, I don't know. I, I know that they're trying to be more progressive, but at the same time, I think you got to protect your players a little bit better. Yeah, it will. It definitely, I think the NBA is taking a stand. I think they're kind of, you know, they're showing that the Twitter mafia can kind of run the NBA the way like parents run a school in a sense where they can like make teachers give them their kids A's. Like that's what a lot of people think, but like they're essentially just trying to force the te- They're trying to make the teachers feel so inclined to give their students A's. Um, much like how fans are trying to keep the NBA inclined to, uh, you know, find these players. They find if Twitter, you know, frenzy or people and media uh, 
feel that whatever a player says is negative or they should be, you know, uh, you know, criticized for that. And in this case, Andrew Wiggins, Derek Rose, I think they're rightly, you know, justly criticized. Now, what Twitter Mafia is doing to them, like that can get a little crazy. Um, and so it's kind of hard to figure out what the majority is saying in these situations. But ultimately, I think people's, you know, they're, they're, what the worst thing is going to happen to Derek Rose and Andrew Wiggins from this is they're going to lose 20,000 followers on Twitter. And that's not the worst thing in the world in terms of what those guys have going on in their lives. So, No, you're in, I, uh, I think the, the thing that is ultimately what you want to avoid is this, that everything is mic'd up. And I'm not saying we're there yet. I just don't want it to get to that spot where you have to, you have to censor everything that's happening in the sport. Yeah, the political correctness of sports. I mean, we'll have a long 30 for 30 on that in about 10 years, I'm sure. (sighs) I'm sure we will. We're going to get to a break for some sponsors, and then we're going to talk about what else Wiggins did last night. So there was a basketball game. I find that we are talking more and more about stuff happening off the court than on the court. And uh, while, while it has been entertaining... The game last night was really entertaining as well. I mean, Wiggins with the double-double, 40 points, 10 rebounds. And that got me thinking about, does Wiggins just really love playing the Thunder? Is this a regular thing for him? So I went back and looked at his stats against the Thunder year by year for his five-year career. He has had one year where he wasn't just extraordinary against the Thunder. Listen to some of these stats. In two games this year, he's averaging 35 points. He's averaging 50% from the field and 50% from three-point range, shooting eight rebounds per game. That's this year. Last year, during through four games, he was averaging 20.8 points, shooting 48% from the field, 37% from three-point range, and he was averaging a steal and a half per game. Then you go to 16-17, averaging – now, this is his worst year against the Thunder, averaging 16.8 points per game, 37% from the – from the field, 1.5 steals per game. And then you go, it goes right back, climbs right back up, 15, 16, 21.8 points per game, 45% from the field. He was averaging 1.8 steals per game. And then his rookie season, 14, 15, 20.8 points per game, 42% shooting from the field, five rebounds and a steal per game. So Wiggins just traditionally really loves playing OKC. This is not maybe the outlier that it seems like going away from this game. Yeah, we brought this up on the pod last time uh, yesterday. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is like, uh, he has his moments. I would say Andrew Wiggins against the Oklahoma City Thunder has essentially been what Gordon Hayward's been to Minnesota Timberwolves this year, uh, which isn't great for Minnesota when they're playing Boston, but it's fantastic for Minnesota when they're playing Oklahoma City. Luckily, one of those teams is in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, this was only Oklahoma City's sixth loss at home this season. Um, and also, they were the third seed going into this. So, it's huge. Uh, and just Andrew Wiggins' career against the Thunder, um, if anything, like that kind of those stats, those great stats that you just, you know, showed, uh, showed the listeners. I wish somebody would show Andrew Wiggins those numbers and be like, go play like this. Like, play like this in harsh atmospheres. Because Oklahoma City is one of the harder places to play. It's one of the smallest arenas in the league. So everybody's all tight up and close to the court. And it gets crazy loud in there. Um, So it was a great look for Andrew. um, And I really hope that he can continue this streak, especially on this three-game winning streak, against these next two opponents at home um, and moving forward. Another thing, and I, I'm ready for you to pull on the reins here for me. Uh, g- keep me in check, Trey, because you're the older and wiser of the two of us. So I, I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. A- Andrew Wiggins this year 
over the entire season has averaged 17.3 points, 3.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and his player efficiency rating has been 7.5 this season. But if you look at just January, he is averaging 28. And I know, I know we're only nine days into January. But just in the 2019 season, he is averaging 28.8 points per game. He's shooting 45% from the field, 30% from three-point range, 78% from the free-throw line. He is putting up 4.5 rebounds per game, and he's averaging 3.3 assists, 0.3 steals, and he uh, he's averaging a 3.3 plus-minus. Is 2019 the year of Wiggins? Oh, I hope so. And I think the most glaring statistic, the one that's eye-popping, the one that jumps off the page or the one that, uh, the whole stat line you just gave, are those free throws. I mean, it's yes. close to 80% from the charity stripe. If you can hit free throws at a high mark, and for example, Andrew Wiggins went 16 of 18 career highs last night from the free throw line. If you can do that, you are going to be a good shooter in this league. And I know we're talking about a former number one pick, also a guy that's going to be making $150 million in the next few years. But Andrew Wiggins has had the most critics, including myself, in the league for a few years now because of his hype that he had. And we could be seeing the Andrew Wiggins of 2019. I am not, I'm not the wiser. I'm not the more mature person. I won't take those compliments, Colton. But I will <laughs> say that Andrew Wiggins looks really, really good right now. And everything's step-by-step. It's game-by-game, week-by-week. And so if he has a solid January like this one, and we're talking about maybe even like a possible player of the week in the mentions for Andrew Wiggins at one point in January, maybe even this week or the next week, that's a big step up from what he was doing this season. Because at one point, not that long ago, let's just say three, four weeks ago, his stats were the worst in his career. And he's 23 years old after just signing that huge extension last year. And he's already averaged 23 points a game two years ago. So this is a great sign, and it's a great point moving forward. And it's also really cool to see guys like Andrew Wiggins get frustrated and Carlton Towns get frustrated on the bench, look to Ryan Saunders, and Ryan Saunders on, in, on the bench during games is like looking them in the eyes, talking to them while there's a basketball game playing off to the side, rather than Tom Thibodeau just saying, hey, like, step it up, you're not playing well. And like, I think that goes a long way with guys like Wiggins and Towns. And we might just see, we might be seeing, you know, the beginning of this. Uh, important duo to start a, a real career here in Minnesota. And I, I'm getting a little probably overexcited, just like how you are right now, but they look different right away. You can tell. Well, another thing moving off of Wiggins a little bit here, the other thing was that when you start out this game, coach's decision to keep Derrick Rose out, that means that he was probably good to go. They just didn't want to push it with his health. So you have him sitting out. This game, you I think you lose some scoring. I think it's a pretty pretty easy to say you lose some scoring on the the back end if you don't have Derrick Rose out there for this team. But you go to the bench: Dario Saric, fifteen points; Anthony Tolliver, ten points; Tyus Jones, ten points. And all of those guys had over twenty minutes. You had all of your bench players play over twenty minutes. The highest that anybody played in this game was 37 minutes for Wiggins. I mean, even Carl Anthony Towns, 24 minutes, but he had 20 points, 9 rebounds, so it didn't feel like his play was constricted because of less minutes. I really like the way Sonder, and I'm not going to try and go too overboard. My overboard take was already on Wiggins, and so I'm not going to go too overboard on the coaching, but I thought that this was a very nice a very nice way for him to start. Obviously, a win is a good start for anybody, but... I thought that he handled the minutes. I thought he handled the way that he wanted his bench to play. He, again, shorthanded. You didn't have Derrick Rose, so you're playing a little shorthanded still. 
but it didn't feel like he was pushing anybody to play a ton of minutes just because he needed a win to start out his head coaching tenure right here. And it also didn't feel like he wanted to make a huge point by playing a weird lineup for a really long time. It just felt like this was the way this team was supposed to was supposed to kind of file out. And he got the win because of it. And I, I feel like in large part, it was because of not only the Wiggins night, but also because he was just smart with his lineup. Right. And again, I, I might go the overhype on Ryan Saunders if you're going to stick <laughs> with the Wiggins here. Because... I just love this attitude that Saunders is bringing. He's saying, like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to sit Rose this game. And, like, just how Tom Thibodeau's done in the past, he's given Rose the ball at the end of games. And while Rose has succeeded and done a very good job, it might be a better idea to try to give Andrew Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns the chance to win out games, even if you lose, because those are the future cornerstones of your franchise. And while Derrick Rose is playing fantastic and he's on the t- team in the short term, hopefully next year, he is not going to be the future and cornerstone of this franchise moving forward. And sometimes taking L's to get future W's is a better idea. And Tom Thibodeau is really worried about his job. We can get to that another time. But Ryan Saunders coming in here and giving guys like Josh Okogie close to 37 minutes in this game. And while Okogie on the stat line didn't completely jump out, he hit a three with 24 seconds left in this game that I think it was Wiggins that kicked out or Carnley Towns that kicked out to him. And he, he knocked it down. He was 0 for 4 going into that three-point shot and made that one going 1 for 5 in this game. And that's a really important shot for a, a rookie that has struggled so much on offense this year but has been such a bright light on defense. And it's just those little tiny coaching moves that allows guys like Ryan Saunders to really thrive in this league and it allows younger head coaches to thrive in this league because they're taking chances on the guys that other older coaches will be hesitant to take chances on because they're trying to keep their jobs. So that's really, really important. Well, and the other thing that stuck out to me, too, is we can make a big deal. And it is a big deal how Saunders did coaching the Wiggins night. But at the end of the night, this game really came down to discipline. And the Timberwolves were more disciplined, the more disciplined team. And you you go right back to those free throw numbers. They had 40 attempts from the charity stripe. They shot 80% from said said mark on the basketball court. 32 of 40. That's 40 extra points. That the, the Oklahoma City Thunder were just offering up, and the, the Timberwolves took advantage of 32 of those. That's the biggest stat of the night, right? I mean, you're you're playing disciplined basketball, you're getting to the line, and then you're not fouling Oklahoma City on the other end of it. And they were just giving them a ton of free points throughout this game, and that's really the biggest differentiation between what happened for the Timberwolves versus what happened for OKC last night. Yeah, and not only that, it's also just like how we talked about in the past pod, I said that you need to you know, let Paul George lose this game for Oklahoma City. Let him take bad shots. Hopefully he misses them. Play good uh, contested defense on him and force Russell Westbrook to take late game last minute shots because most likely he's going to be taking, um, you know, contested threes that are not going to go in. Um, And that's what happened in this game. He took those contested threes the last, you know, 30 seconds of this game, didn't go in. And I know he played a great last three minutes for Oklahoma City, but they took Paul George out of this game. Josh Okogie and Jeff T played fantastic defense on uh, Paul George in the third quarter. And then guys like Steven Adams, uh, you know, who's a great player who really came up for them, uh, was ultimately their second best player, Russell Westbrook. And if you can make Steven Adams your second best player, you should be good against Oklahoma City. And that's what Minnesota was in this game. Um, you know, and moving forward, it's just a really good sign to see guys like how you said before, Darius Sarge playing extremely well at 15 points and uh, seven rebounds and two assists. And again, I'm going to have to also say nice things about Jeff Teague, even though it hurts my soul. He <laughs> had, you know, eight points, 
five assists, two boards, and the most important statistic that he had was those five steals and only 25 minutes of action. That off-the-ball movement that Jeff Teague was providing on the defensive end really filled in the shoes of a player we were missing last night who would have been really, really helpful, too, to squeeze out this win uh, with more of a differentiation in the score was Robert Covington. We were missing Robert Covington, the best defender, second-best defender in the league, arguably. So, like, that's a big deal that not a lot of people were talking about. Most people were just bringing up the loss of Derrick Rose last night, just not having him. But not having Robert Covington this game to, you know, essentially uh, defend uh, Paul George the entire game and having Josh Kogi and Teague and guys like even Anthony Tolliver at the three switching between defense. Like, that was really, really great to see. All right, we're going to get to a break for some sponsors, then we're going to look ahead. So, we are officially at the halfway mark. We will be doing... I'll look back at the first half of the season tomorrow, but we have the Mavericks coming up here, and the the first I, there's a couple things we're obviously going to dive into the matchups for the Mavericks uh, on Friday. We're going to get into the the nitpicky stuff and, and all the little things matchup wise for the Timberwolves, but I just wanted to to look at kind of the broad view. We were looking at the next five games the other day. If Covington, and at that time, too, the Covington injury did not seem as serious. It was released, uh, what was that, like sometime yesterday evening that yeah. the Covington ear injury was actually going to be a little more serious, and, uh, and he's going to be out indefinitely with that knee. Just a right. quick take, yeah. what does that look? What does the next four games look like to you now that you know Covington's not going to come back at any time during those? Well, first things first, uh, especially with the James Nunnally uh, release, which is actually a big deal. You know, Nunnally got released there, and um, uh, you know they didn't want to keep his contract all the way through. Uh, there's gonna be guys stepping up on this roster, uh, you know, in his place because a lot of people thought he would be the you know the tenth man on this team or eleventh man. Anthony Tolliver is gonna have to get more minutes, um, and he's been switching a lot between the three and four rather than the four and five, which is an interesting move by Saunders and Thibodeau before him. Uh, but ultimately, once Derrick Rose comes back in this lineup and they have a good 10 solid guys to play on this team, uh, it's going to be looking good over the next five games, and especially with how hot Colonel Thane Towns has been. I mean, only 24 minutes of action because he got in foul trouble last game. He had 20 and 9, uh, which is big for him. And, you know, he looked good on defense, too, and he was only 8 of 14 from the field. So that was fantastic. So moving forward, the guys to rely on, and it's going to continue to be Conley Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And I love this idea about Ryan Saunders giving Josh Akogi more minutes because that guy is a workhorse on the defensive end. He obviously learned a thing or two from uh, his coaching staff at Georgia Tech and also you know, uh, essentially put that learning, that process on steroids and playing with Jimmy Butler because that's one of the you know the grittiest defenders in the league. And Akogi is becoming one of those guys already as a rookie. So you got to give those guys more minutes. you got to give them more playing time. Give them more shots. Give Towns more shots. He, only had, he had 14 shots in 24 minutes, which is a lot since he averaged 16. And Andrew Wiggins had 24 shots last night. Continue to do that against teams like Boston in the, you know, in the future and uh, New Orleans. And uh, I think we're playing Philadelphia. Well, I know we're playing Philadelphia next week, and I'm really excited about that. So against those teams, you've got to rely on Towns, Wiggins, and the rest of this, uh, you know, the rest of this lineup and really put trust into guys like um, Akogi, and Sarge and Jones moving forward. I just want to say when the Warriors or the Rockets or the Spurs pick up James Nunley and he's knocking down all sorts of three for threes for them, I am preemptively firing myself because I'm just going to turn into such a monster of I told you so's that it's not going to be worth having me on the show anymore. 
I can see it, man. The James Nunnally, uh, you know, the new Patrick McCaw for the Golden State Warriors, James Nunnally, signed after a terrible release by the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then all of a sudden, co-host Colton Molesky leaves the Locked On Wolves podcast or being completely angry with himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I think he, he's a good player. He's he's solid. I just I think we're going to be fine even without him. You know, we, we still got guys like uh, Terrell if we need to put them in there, Jared Terrell. So, um, you know, ultimately these 10, these 10 guys we have, going for the next five, six games are going to be solid. And with the bone bruise, Robert Covington going to be out for a few weeks. That's tough. But if anything, I'd like to see him get healthy because if we're talking playoffs right now as the ninth seed in the West, a tie with a couple other teams, but still the ninth seed, if we're talking playoffs, we got to have a guy like Robert Covington who's willing to defend the best player on the other team. I do, I do like Jared Terrell. I feel like I talked about him over summer league more than I talked about Josh Okogie even, or, or just as much. I don't know. I've been crazy about the the guys deep on this Timberwolves roster for some reason this year. Uh, there's there's no saving me. Uh, that's that's all we have. Like I said, we're going to talk about the first half of the Timberwolves season and what we're gleaning from that. What we're taking into the second half of their season. That's on tomorrow's show, and then Friday we're going to be previewing the Mavericks. They are coming to town, so we're going to get, dive into all the matchups. We're going to take a really hard look at Luka and see if he can single-handedly push the Mavericks over the Timberwolves or if they have what it takes to keep this winning streak going. They're three deep right now as far as victories, and it's a lot of fun covering the Timberwolves right now. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.